Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of the Real Estate Rundown. Today, we're joined by Kenneth Gee. And you guys are going to want to stick around and listen to the end of this podcast because Kevin's going to bring us some knowledge. And we're going to talk about some of the differences between active income versus passive income, what kind of timelines we're talking about in market cycles, and maybe we'll get to what are blind pool funds and how do they work, which are a lot of questions that a lot of people are asking in this tumultuous market we have going on. So with that, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Shannon. Appreciate it. So, Kevin, give my listeners a little <clears throat> bit of your bio so that we can understand when we get into these, what qualifications you have and, and, and how long you've been involved in the real estate game and kind of just the background there. Yeah, sure. So, my background, I'm a commercial lender, CPA. So, I spent five years as a lender, uh, seven years at Deloitte as a CPA, mostly in tax side, doing M&A work. Uh, and it was during that time that I decided that I was tired of working for uh, somebody else and uh, working really hard so they could go relax, enjoy their families and so on and so forth. So I, like everybody, spent a lot of time and energy trying to figure this business out. And uh, so I bought, this was back in the late 90s, 1997, I think I bought our right. first deal. Uh, bought three deals, sold them, uh, not all at the same time, but over a couple of years, sold them uh, three years later. And, and when uh, you say you bought three deals, did what, what, what were they? Yeah, they were small apartment buildings. So okay. the first one was a 28-unit building in Shaker Square in Cleveland. Okay. Second okay. one was 24. I think the third one was 22, something. Not that you remember your first few deals, but uh, yeah, well, I, but I do. They you stayed in your home market, right? You stayed in the Cleveland area? I did at the time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so three years later, we sold those. And I, I mean, it blew my mind. I made half a million bucks. I never yeah. thought in my life I would make a half a million dollars, uh, let alone make it on the side, but I was still working at Deloitte as a CPA. Which the, I'm, just, I'm assuming that after you made that half a million dollars, that, that employment uh, terminated very rapidly. <laughs> you're, you're telling the story perfectly. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So now fast forward to today. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, it was my goal back then to put my kids through school without debt and and, you know, really make the life for my family that I wanted to. Now, you know, fast forward to today, I'm happy to report that I did put my kids through school without any debt. You know, we've been very, very successful. We've done about 18 deals um, worth, I don't know, probably 125, $150 million, something like that. Um, right. First 10 years, we grew up in Cleveland, a tough market to buy and make money in the apartment business. And about 15 years ago, I thought, you know what, if I can do this well in Cleveland, what if I went to a market that was actually a growth market? So, we, so explain why. What what was wrong with Cleveland? I mean, for those of us that don't know, um, yeah. I mean, you got you've got a great football team, right? The Cleveland Browns, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll go with I that. Mean, yeah. You know, yeah, we'll it, it, as that. long as your apartment record is better than your football team's record, I think you're going to win, right? Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, so when you think about our business, we're in the apartment business. 
Yes. It's like any business, you would rather have demand be greater than supply. And that means you need some sort of population and employment growth. And that just wasn't happening in Cleveland. In fact, it's been a slight decline. People are moving around in the state of Ohio, but generally speaking, Cleveland just wasn't a growth market. So it was super important that you really buy it right and -hmm. make sure you add value because that was the only way you were going to make money because the chances of growing out of a mistake, you know, through, you know, just normal rent increases because you know, there's more people that want to live there than what's available. Uh, you know, that just wasn't going to happen. So we, so we had, had a, I think of it as a bear market. Think about trying to go yeah. long in a bear market. That's what you're trying to do when you buy in a, in a market like that. So basically you, you had a, a seven, eight, a 9% vacancy uh, and, and you had to do a growth strategy where you could take the rents that were there through only um elbow grease and things like that, you could improve rents by better management, better response times, better amenities, better upkeep, all the things that cost money, right? So by doing better, you're increasing your bottom line to increase your top side. But, you know, uh, I think a lot of people have gotten spoiled lately because in the, in the cycle that we're in, uh, you know, you could buy a mobile home uh, subdivided into four units and still make money, right? I mean, it's a little bit <laughs> yeah. of an exaggeration, but <laughs> but the reality is, you know, it, rents were increasing naturally anyway all over the nation. Right. You did that in somewhere that had excess supply. Yes. And, and so you had to create not necessarily artificial demand, but you had to create organic demand because mm-hmm. it wasn't just that people were moving in in droves and they go, well, you know what, Ken's got one. I'm going to take it because it's the first available. It's the only available. I'm going to get it and I'm going to move on later. They yeah. they definitely had their pick. Yeah, we we got our tenants by stealing it from the guy next door. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the honest way, right? That, well, that's that's just the way it happened. You, you'd incentivize them to come yeah. move to your property. You made it nice. You managed it well. And, you know, your property is better than his. And uh, with a little bit of incentive, a little concession, they would agree to move. And that that process just kind of keep kept going, and then simply from there outperform so they didn't leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Great. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. You know, and and a lot of people can don't remember that part of our market, right? They don't no, remember they don't. market cycles like that where you actually right. had to put real lipstick on said pig, right? You couldn't just <laughs> buy the pig. And then somebody yeah. came along and bought your impressive pig just because you had a pig, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes, sir. You had to work so, for every every penny. So so you really had to figure out where, you, I mean, and, and let's go back to the time in life that that was. That was 97, 98, 99. Yeah. Kind of a f- normal uh, flat real estate market increasing by 2 or 3% a year. In, in as far as where the nation was at, it was... Uh, Oh, one, we had a little bit, 2001, we had a little bit of recession. Is that correct? Yeah. Remind me. Yep. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I was starting my business at the time at that time too, mm-hmm. but I wasn't at the investment stage yet, right? I was just starting right. my construction company. So had a little bit in 01, but, but it was just a slow and steady. It was mm-hmm. nothing special. No, no COVID growth. No, nothing no. like what we've seen the last, you know, 10 years no. of uninterrupted growth cycle. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And what did you, you were involved in the active side. You just went straight to the active side, it sounds like. I did. I did. Yeah, because I, uh, uh, in, in Cleveland, there weren't very many third-party managers. In fact, 
when you think about in order for a third-party management industry to grow up and thrive in a community, you have to have outside investment. And Cleveland wasn't, back then, it was the city that the river caught on fire, if you recall. I mean, it wasn't something that somebody, you don't remember that, the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught on fire. And, uh, you know, to this day, Cleveland uh, bears that, um, you know, that challenge. But, you know, what I don't want to do is beat up on Cleveland. Here's what's important about my time in Cleveland is it taught me how to really make money in real estate, how to really add value, select your renovations carefully, spend your money carefully, scrutinize your underwriting. And then 15 years ago, we took that to Florida. Mm. So now we're in a growth market. Florida has always been growing. That really hasn't changed. Did it accelerate in the pandemic? Yes. But we've Mm -hmm. been down there for 15 years and we've done well down there. You you, you can't focus on stealing properties down there, buying them, quote unquote, right, because there's too many people that want to buy. But what you can do now is focus on your value add plan, really add lots of value because there's people in line that want to live at your property and you don't have to go steal it from the next guy through incentives and things like that. So you can create a really nice product, serve that market really well, and you'll be really well rewarded because now you have a demand outweigh supply issue, which is a bear market or a, a bull market. Right. And now we've we've taken that bull market and put a value add strategy on top of it and our returns just explode. So right. that's why we went to Florida. But you've also got, you know, you you mentioned earlier, you know, in Cleveland, you couldn't uh, you couldn't manage or, or build your way out of a mistake. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of grace there. When you get into a growth right. market, there is some natural mm-hmm. grace that if you give it long enough, if you can persevere long enough, uh, it will it will come back around. It might be 10 yeah. years. It might be 15. But, yep. you know, uh, as as we know, and having done this uh, for about Sounds like about the same amount of time. We both know that there is uh, there's a full circle here, and and you only lose on real estate when you sell, uh, because if you still have the asset, you still have you're still in the game. You still have the ability to improve. You still have you do have losses this year, right? I mean, we've all had those. I've had those uh, where we've had losses this year, but we haven't lost because we still have the asset. But you also have to buy it right because if you're not buying it right. Uh, you're going to make those losses work. But in a bull market, you can buy not, it doesn't have to be so right. It doesn't have to be buying perfect, right? Right, right. So, so the, the, what is it that you've learned in that timeline of market cycles and everything else just with, with all that, that, that's gone on versus I would say you, your time in Cleveland was a razor thin market margin, right? Yeah. Uh, Florida's given you more. You've also seen market cycles in both markets. Mm-hmm. You know what would you what would you say about the whole thought process of timing the market and how how important that is versus how important just uh, making sure that you buy right at your time in the cycle? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So uh, we don't. I, I don't know that it's 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 really hard to time the market. The way we approach our underwriting is we're extremely disciplined. We know going in that no matter what, whether we're in Florida or Cleveland, and we don't do anything in Cleveland anymore, but uh, wherever we are, we have to be able to service our debt and give our investors a return going in day one. That has to happen. And we're not going to buy it if it doesn't happen. Now, the biggest difference in the higher growth markets than the lower growth markets 
is in Cleveland, a renovation I'm hopeful would get 50 to 100 bucks in upside rents. In markets like Florida, you can improve more and get three, four, five hundred dollars a month right. upside. And we are legitimately getting them even today right. in this market. We are still getting them because people want the product that you have. That's it's a demand supply thing. So when right. I look at the long term health of our business, I look at the demand and I look at the supply and I'm trying to figure out which one is going to create a problem for me. And I, I can't see either one. The supplies that they can't build B class properties. That's what we buy. They right. just can't afford to build them. So I don't think there's going to be a big change in supply. So now what will stop people from wanting to live in a, in a market like Florida? Well, the same things have existed in Florida for the last 20, 30 years. They're going to continue to want to live in Florida. So I can't see the demand destruction. And that's the other reason we stay in, uh, in, in the multifamily world. Yeah. Because everybody needs a place to live. So I can't right. see either of those two things going away. And that's so now all I have to do is build my business plan on top of that and make sure I'm adding a lot of value. And and then, of course, when we do our underwriting, we're using exit cap rates that are higher than our going in cap rates and all that kind of stuff. But, what you know, what's important is discipline through all these markets. It's got to be disciplined. The biggest thing I've seen people do, you know, when rates were low and everybody was doing it, there's this FOMO. You've heard of FOMO. Fear of oh, yeah. Out. People yep. are, they're just, man, my buddy's doing it. He's buying one yep. and she's buying one. And why can't I do this? And they go out and they just buy because right. they're like, man, I got to get in the game somehow. And that is usually what sinks people when markets start to soften a little bit or something starts to happen, like interest right. rates going up. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, you know, you mentioned even buying today because I agree with you. I mean, as long as your your market is cash flowing, right? If you're buying mm-hmm. something that the debt service on there is you know a thousand dollars and your rents are you know fifteen hundred dollars and you've got thirty six percent expenses, you've got cash flow. If you've mm-hmm. got cash flow, you're headed in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. So that means that even right now, again, back to your demand issue, if we if we're, we're not, I mean, there are markets right now that are are having falling demand. Right. Mm-hmm. There are markets in California. There are markets in New York. There are markets in Washington that are experiencing falling demand. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, politics. It has to do with external pressure and mm-hmm. people are moving, which is causing even more demand in the areas that uh, you like. Florida. That I like. Texas, yes, sir. That's right. Know, <laughs> yep. uh, and, and that I like as well, because you're looking at it going, OK, you know, we're we're positioned in areas that are pro growth. We're positioned in areas that are going to continue to import people that are going to continue to attract people for more than just, you know, the job driver or the, you know, or the, the retirement community or the whatever it is, you're going to continue to experience this stuff. But, you know, so, so you, you picked a good market, you know, you're watching how that supply and demand goes on and in the foreseeable future, even with increasing interest rates, even with inflation, even with all of that, um, it sounds like you feel that there's still going to be value to be purchased out there um, to continue to expand your portfolio. Yeah, you just have to stay disciplined. Uh, you know, you, if you don't stay disciplined, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And that doesn't yeah. matter if you're in an up market, down market, it doesn't matter. Right. You've got to understand what you're doing and stick to um, the, the rules, stick to the discipline right. and, and do things uh, that you know will be okay. Now, you talk about it, rising interest rates, and I'm talking a lot about Interest, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the Fed is hell-bent on putting us in a recession. They are. 
um, yes, which they've is said important. That. They did. Yeah, they were yeah. pretty out, outward about that. So, yeah. you know, part of when you look at like you've been doing this for a long time, there's a reason that we don't buy in the lower income neighborhoods. We don't do that. Right. Not because we don't like lower income people. It has nothing to do with it. It has right. everything to do with who gets hurt first in a recession. That's the lower correct. income tier. It's terrible, but it is yep. what it is. So we try to stay above that because I don't. I want to mitigate that risk of recession. Now, the Fed is trying to beat down this inflation issue with interest rate increases, right? But yes. what does that do? I think last week, I think the first first mortgage purchase 30-year non-jumbo rate was like 7.2%. I mean, that's crazy. So now we're well, already- that's, Now, a, wait a minute. That's crazy compared to the last 24 months or 36 months, right? But, <clears> but going back to when you and I started, that was, that was what was available, right? It was, but here's so, the point. It's a relative number. So yep. I'm in a, in a market where demand already exceeds supply. I have a value add business plan that I'm putting on top of that. Right. And now the Fed is helping me because they're making a lot of people who would go buy homes, they mm -hmm. have to stay in the renter pool. That's correct. So that you know, even added more demand to my to my equation. And, and that's where I see it. And and I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, not that not that you don't want to be in this the D class or the C class property, but a lot of people feel that somehow they have to start there because it's more affordable. But I think that you're like you said, you're asking for trouble because look, if you're more making dangerous. fifty thousand dollars a year, inflation is knocking your teeth in. Okay, the Fed mm -hmm. is crushing not your hopes and dreams. They're crushing your ability to stay alive. They're crushing your ability to stay in a house and make your car payments and those kinds of things. If you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, it hurts. Five dollar, you know, gasoline is not fun, and chicken doubling in price isn't convenient. But you still aren't going to be moving out of your house to live in your car over those kinds of things unless yeah. you've made some really serious. Uh, life choices that that are going to affect that, and yeah. so so yeah. you see a lot of people are are doing this flight to security, trying to get out of the D's and C's because the delinquency rates are increasing. As we see, you they know will. that uh, I saw they always a survey, do. Yeah, yeah, I saw a survey the other day that said that um, in the D class property, and this was a nationwide survey, and I don't, I didn't really check where their data was coming from. But in the D-class property, rent alone is upwards of 34% of their income. Yep. yep. In a in a A-class a property, it was about 26.5%. Right. So a much, even though the rents between a D and an A were $1,500 difference, it was still a much smaller piece. So like you said, there, you know, and also, Ken, I think it's also worth noting, and, and I, I know you can relate to this, of all the recessions we've ever had, only three in our history have hurt real estate prices. Right. And only one, 2008, hurt like that. I mean, the one we had in 2001 was less than 2%. Yeah. I think uh, my market currently, my, my main market, Boise, Idaho, is experiencing, we are uh, still 1% higher sales price than we were a year ago. Mm -hmm. We peaked in February, so yep. we're not as high as February, right? But we're still 1% higher than October of last year. So I think that, you know, we're coming in, the Fed's pushing rates, everything's changing, but everything's staying the same. When you look at the model that you're implementing, which is cash flow, creates ownership opportunity because somebody else is paying the mortgage, somebody else is paying the maintenance guy, somebody else is paying the bills while the rent appreciates and the inflation is exacerbating the demand crush. It is, yes. 
which as much as none of us really like it, your rents are being pushed even faster now than they were pre-inflation. Is that what I'm hearing? But that, that is, that is. I am on a quest to try to figure out what, what really pains me is I watch what the Fed is doing right now. I'm not an economist, all right? So you got to take what I say. Oh, you said you were an accountant. Assault. That's almost as bad, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. But when you think about you, the what the Fed is doing here, trying to force us into a recession, the, the, all the things that they're doing are demand side limiters. It really pains me to think that the only way we can get inflation under control that, by the way, is caused by supply side problems, not demand side, Correct. is You're to so destroy correct. massive amounts of wealth yep. and hurt the lower income group of people and literally just destroy them because yeah. that is what they're doing. The people in middle and upper, they're going to be annoyed a little bit by these things, yeah. but it is not going to change their life. I wish we could figure out a way think about this if you if you understand i'm sure you do you understand why we're in this inflationary environment because we shut all the demand down and the supply finally got down we flipped the light switch on demand went way up and now everybody had all this money in the bank because a the government gave it to them and b they didn't have anything to spend their money on so they're wealthy relatively speaking and when as soon as you flipped on the light switch there's not enough energy there to power the light bulbs and right. it takes a long time for that supply well, supply issues to get worked out, it I, I we just have to figure out a better way to do this. It just pains me to think that the only way we can figure this out is to destroy people and well, destroy their wealth. Instead, it seems if we could have helped the supply side catch up quicker, that seems like that would have been a less painful way to deal with that. But I could be all wrong. Well, and you know, the thing that we had, I mean, you, when you look at what exacerbated this, 2008, 2009 wasn't you know, we had a pretty equilibrium of supply and demand in the housing yeah. market. We were pretty equal. Then we had all these funky loans, right? Then we didn't oh, yeah. really have a housing crisis. We had a liquidity problem. Nobody could give you, nobody would give you a loan at 50% yep. loan to value on a great cash flowing property because everybody was afraid it was going to affect their balance sheet. You know, so we went through the whole global financial crisis, which was yep. really a liquidity problem. When that came back around, we wound up behind the curve. And I remember, mm -hmm. I remember talking through this many, many times. In my area, 2009, 2010, you could have bought a three-bedroom, two-bath, uh, two-car garage for about 140 grand uh, at the bottom of the market. You'd get, you got a six percent interest rate loan. Your payment would have been about 1,400 bucks. Uh, two years later, that house was trading at about 220. Uh, your interest rate was now five and a quarter. Uh, mm -hmm. Payment was about the same. Right. Yep, and so yep. the Fed, through this quantitative easing, they, they <clears throat> made interest so cheap that as yep. that price of that house kept going up to four hundred and fifty thousand dollars and that interest rate coming down to two, two point two, two point three percent, the payment stayed the same. Agreed. Yep. So then you've got then you've got, you know, things going gangbusters here and we can't keep up. So now we've got even more demand, which is just exacerbating. The problem, we can't produce it fast enough. We're already mm -hmm. five to seven million units behind the curve anyway. Yeah. And now we have even more issues, right? So you and I are <laughs> feeling the same pain. And this is yeah. it's really nice to talk to a kindred spirit that's been in the game a long time because it really gives us a look ahead as to what's coming, right? 
This looks a lot like other recessions we've had where the economy as a whole slows down. I remember the dot-com bubble, right? Had yeah. nothing yeah. to do with real estate, but everybody quit buying everything, right? Yeah. If you're yeah. not if you're not buying new computers and new Ferraris, those guys don't have money to pay pay, you know, to buy houses with. That right. affects me, right? Yep. Yep. And so you, you see how this is happening and, and what it does every time it does this, can you know this? It grows the poor out of the bottom side of the middle class, right? It eats away at the bottom side of the middle class, and there's less and less middle class. And so now there's more have nots. And it consolidates to the upside on the haves, right? Yes. Creating 100%. more, you know, more, more animosity between the two because people that were making a hundred grand a year in, let's call it New Jersey, and life was great four years ago, a hundred grand a year in New Jersey, you're starving to death now. Yeah. You can't make it. Yep. You know, I'm yeah. watching, I'm watching uh, my kids, you know, they're looking at 16, 17, 18 dollars an hour as not enough to do what eight dollars an hour did five years ago. I know. Isn't that crazy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it is. so let's talk about, let's talk about where you see all of this going and what you do. We mentioned that, that, you know, you're in the syndication world, you've got active investors, you've got passive investors. Mm -hmm. What is the advantage? I mean, we're going into, you know, everybody was getting on board. You know, there's always yeah. this FOMO that you're talking about. Everybody's getting on board. Everybody wants to be kin, right? Everybody wants to jump in and they want to buy an apartment yeah. and they want to do this and they want, and it's, and it's real estate is sexy again. But it's very quickly becoming that everybody's looking around, realizing if we're, what boat are we on? Are we on the USS Minnow? Are we on the Titanic? You know, which boat are we on? What's the, what's the benefit of the syndication model at this point in history? Yeah, so syndication or fund, uh, the use of other people's money. Here, here's what I think passive investors need to look at right now. I, I just had this conversation with someone this morning. I have money in the stock market. I, I'm I'm so angry about the, how much money I've lost in the stock market. It, there's just no there's just no excuse for it. On the other hand, when I look at our real estate investments, our real estate continues to throw off cash. It continues to increase cash. People generally pay for cash. I don't have this crazy volatility, and I've got an asset that I can't figure out how to make it go away. It's not office. It's not storage. It's, I can make a case for a lot of asset classes going away, withering on the vine, small retail, all that. I can't figure out how to make re, uh, multifamily go away. So if I'm a passive investor, I've got inflation eating away if I leave my money sit in the bank. If I go to the stock market, well, you, you, just, need to, you just need to have an iron stomach if you're going to do that. I, that. That's just how I feel. I'm just really annoyed. I don't like losing money. And so if you look around, what else are you going to do that's going to help protect you and give you some cash flow? And that's when I, I, I look around and I'm trying to find a reason that you would not want to be in multifamily real estate. Well, if and it's I think, done right, I can't yeah, I think, find a reason. Well, but, but here's the reality. If I'm brand new to this whole thing and I'm just getting exposed to this and I you know, I'm 26 years old and I've just come to the place where I got some money and I want to do something. And I'm looking out there at the single family market right now. And I'm looking at 20% down for an investment property. And I'm looking at all these different things and I'm, I'm trying to cut my teeth. And I know that real estate's a great deal. Now is just not my time in history. I'm not comfortable because the waters are really choppy. Right. Yeah. And this what is I want you to do is I want you to find a mentor, somebody like me. So maybe somebody like you, you've been doing this a long time. 
and work with them and figure it out. We don't, I don't like the single family market because the, the right. pricing in that market is so emotional to me. Yeah. I like multifamily because I, if I generate more cash flow, there is right. going to be someone who wants to pay for There's that. There's a cash. mathematical formula as to what you're selling for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can so, calculate that. So that's what I tell people is find yourself an experienced mentor to work with you, work on their GP team, and just, just learn from them. If you don't even get much out of it, you've got to, you're coming up on times that you need to have an experienced person by your side to make sure that you're not going to make mistakes that you don't even know you're going to make yet, right? Yeah. You just don't. That's why I, I tell people, I have four rules I want every passive investor to follow. And if you do this, you'll probably be okay. Number one, invest with experienced invest sponsors only. Number two, they got to have a correct track record and they've got to be willing to show it to you. Ours is on Veravest's site. They've audited our, our track record. All, all 18 deals, 25 years, they've audited it. Next thing they need to do is make sure that the terms of the deal puts the investors first. Right. And then lastly, you need a sponsor that's truly transparent. Putting your entire track record out on Veravest is transparent. So my point to new passive investors is you follow those four rules, you have really significantly lowered your risk that you're going to invest with somebody who's going to lose your money. I, I can't guarantee it. I can't make it go to zero. But boy, you follow those four rules, you've eliminated most of the risk there. Well, and the other thing too with that, Ken, you know, I, I, I'm i with you. I encourage I encourage people first be a limited, limited partner, right? Yeah. Be that limited partner. And this is what I tell people all the time. If you want to learn how to do this, if you'll invest with a with a sponsor that will show you everything like mm -hmm. I do, like you do. Mm -hmm. I don't have any secrets because the more I can teach you, the less likely we're to get sideways with each other, yeah, right? Because you're going to understand. And, yep. and then you find those ones that now all of a sudden they want to know more. And then, then they see themselves slowly joining the GP team because they can understand, they can bring value, they can understand what's going on and, yep. and they can see what is happening. And then all of a sudden it's that transformation that goes from hey, I didn't know anything to now I can spot a deal or I can help manage a deal or I can help, you know, I can help with the financing part of the deal. I can bring these pieces, but you're getting that education. This is the one thing that I think is missing from a lot of colleges right now is there's an education in one sector in this bubble. And then you go out in the real world and you're wondering how this fits in instead yeah. of the apprenticeship, right? Yeah. Of the, yeah. of the 1800s and that where you came alongside and you worked with, you know, you worked in the business. That's where I grew right. up is in the family business, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that, you've gotten that apprenticeship. You know what's going on. You've seen how the deal works. You've seen how the cash flow models work. How come we only got 10 bucks this month and we got 30 bucks last month? You know, what's, what's going on? You've had that opportunity and you're safe because you're not the captain of the ship. And then you're slowly able to become the next Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Mm -hmm. So. No, you're, you're exactly Princess right. Bride, Princess Bride reference there, right? For, for <laughs> I, all saw, those I noticed people, that, you know? <laughs> I noticed that. Yes, yes. I will tell you, you know, I've been at this a long time, 25 years. And uh, in the beginning, there were people that, that lent me a helping hand, helped me yep. understand the business, taught me a lot, you know. Yeah. And uh, now, 25 years later, I will tell you, so, so if you're new starting out in this business, seek guys like me, guys like you out. Because the one thing that happens at some point in your life, most people, at least I'm going to talk about myself here. After 25 years, I realized, wait a minute, I can help change someone else's life. Yeah. Because it really changed my life, I will tell you, right. in a massive way. And nothing makes you feel better if you're sitting in my chair than knowing <laughs> that you were able to help someone else 
put themselves on a path that their life is going to be amazing. And so yeah. there are people out there who want to help the 26 year old that you described who wants right. to get in this business. We're, we're here to help. You just got to be willing to do the work and find those people. So this, this, you can get this match to happen. Uh, you're set. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the truth of the matter too, Ken. And this is the funny thing that I've realized, you know, I came from a development background and the more I get involved in the multifamily community, the more I realize it's a team sport. Number one, it is. Yeah. Uh, and number two, they're people that are willing to help people get out of their job, get out of that insecure place. That's got you chained with a paycheck mm -hmm. every Friday and get yep. into a place where you have control of your life, have control of your future. Right. It, mm -hmm. it really is a place where it's Main Street helping Main Street, who, you know, and get away from uh, that dependency on somebody else. Right. Right. And yep. I've seen it and I've and, and it was at first it seemed kind of creepy, weird, like they were trying to steal your secrets or they're trying to, you know, get to know you so they could pill for you or cut you off at the pass or whatever. But it's yeah. really it really is a community that wants to help. And I and I completely agree with you that the sooner you can get plugged into that, the sooner you can get everything handled so that you can win. And winning is what this is all about. It's about the passive income. It's about the ability to get free from the J-O-B and to get yeah. into a place where you have time control of your life, right? I absolutely agree 100%. Yep. So so when you do what you're doing and one of the things that you're looking at, we've, we've talked about, you know, this is a choppy time. It's not the best time, but it's really definitely not the worst time. Right. Oh, I think the worst I, I time to be this. buying real estate was seven months ago. <laughs> I, I well, I love this. You know why? Because I no longer have 30 people standing next to me that want to buy a piece of real estate. That's what half I mean. Of which half of them don't know what they're doing. So they're paying That's ridiculous right. prices. That's and right. Somehow getting the deal done. So no, this right. I love this time because yeah. what happens when things get choppy, the, most people know, man, this is scary. I don't understand what I'm doing. And they step aside. Right. And the people like you and myself and other experienced people, we now, it, it's it's finally an opportunity for us to, you know, the things that have been making it tougher for us to buy are yeah. kind of going away. We still have challenges. I'm not suggesting sure. that there's deals everywhere, but I, I, I actually don't mind these times. The only thing that's bothering me about what's happening right now is that the little guy is getting destroyed by the Fed. That is yeah. really bugging me yep. because I really don't think it had to happen. And they're going to really get hurt. And that bugs me. I honestly can't. I think it's by design. Uh, and we won't get into conspiracy theories, but I think the government likes people dependent on the government. This is the only industry yeah, that can, that can through its policies, create its dependence. Right. I mean, then, it's like they've yeah, become I never the thought about it that mom. way. Yeah. They're yeah, the I helicopter mom that. that solves all the problems. Don't worry about the recession. You're unemployed. Don't worry. We're going to print more of that money. That's going to cause more of a recession, but yeah. now you're going to, be dependent on us. And then with dependency comes voting. Right. But we won't yeah. get into that. We yeah, won't I, into I never that. even thought about that. So that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it. I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you're looking at the future, give yeah. me what, what is your, when do you think the fed, when do you think things are going to smooth out when interest rates are going to stabilize? We're still in a massive upswing. When do you think that yeah. that's going to stabilize a bit and kind of Smooth the water a little bit. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, I, I I watch a lot of economists. I, uh, I I spend a lot of time looking at the forward rate curves. If you ever go to Chatham Financial, you can see it right online. Trying to figure out where the market think, what the market thinks is going to happen. 
when I think, I, I always try to step back for a minute and just say, all right, let's just take a common sense approach here. What's what's happening? Well, if you turn turn on the financial news networks, you hear now that people are starting to get annoyed with the rates, the rate increases that are happening. People like me are getting annoyed that the risk of a, of a recession that'll really hurt people is becoming greater. What I think will happen is that at some point, I, I know the Fed is supposed to be independent, but I, they're human beings. And I think that the, the pressure is gonna grow rapidly here as things start to deteriorate. I don't know exactly when that'll happen. I'm gonna guess it's gonna be within the next six months, but I could be wrong. I, I don't, I'm not that good with timing. But if I think about the reality, people are gonna be screaming really soon and really loudly. And the government will probably start to listen and either stop with the increases or start to back off a little bit. And then people will slowly start to build confidence back into the system. That's yeah. what I think. Um, we'll, we'll see if I'm right or not. Only, only time will tell. But again, it's only based on a gut feeling and just how I think people will react to the pain. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, and it's going to be pain. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't want to see it happen because it doesn't have to. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily have to. Well, and, you know, Ken, that's where, you know, where I see it, too. The only thing, the only caveat that we have with this is we have become so dependent on imports, um, you know, that yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we can't really have total control of our supply and demand. Totally right? agree. So when when, you know, uh, I, I tell people all the time, people go, man, we need more more affordable housing. Well, that's easy. Oh, really? How? Cut all the developers loose, let them build like crazy, give them incentives. And then what happens is there's this mushroom. Now we have too much supply. What happens to price when you got too much supply? Price implodes. Boom. Affordable housing. You just right? illustrated exactly what I said a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. If but we could find a way to impact the supply side and not, right. not destroy the demand. You right. just said, give those developers incentives, help you them totally get it. build the supply. You could do that in every. Well, industry. and if you look at it, Ken, go look at. Nationwide, Houston fought the fought the uphill curve the most. Do you know why Houston was the, was the least affected by supply problems and and mm -hmm. and demand issues? Is because Houston has no zoning in the city, so I can go build a multifamily apartment complex anywhere I can find a piece of dirt. I don't mm -hmm. have to have city approval. I don't have to do anything. So I can go build tomorrow, which means that I don't have even in Idaho where I've got a year to get in the ground, or California where I've got four years to get in the ground. You got to pay me for my time. Yeah. That all that all bakes into the cake. So when it gets yeah. out there, you know, this is what you're going to pay. And so when you can remove a lot of those things, those governmental regulations and governmental hurdles, you can improve that. But yeah. what we're yep. seeing still on the development side is switchgear from for electrical, all these things that are coming from China, uh, you know, cabinets and things like that that are coming yeah. from China. A lot of the things that, you know, chips that go in the, the microwaves and the dishwashers, we're seeing we're seeing bottlenecks on that that are continuing to squeeze that, yes. Agreed. that supply. Yep. So now we're not even the only ones, and now we're we don't have control of our gasoline. And again, we won't get we won't go down that so, road. So now we're going to raise rates and cram ourselves into a recession when the problems aren't even internal; they're external. Well, they're they're both. They're both. They're internal. Well, I understand, but you right? just yep. described Absolutely. the supply chain bottleneck so now, that was caused by we, China. Yep. Now that we've talked out ourselves and now we're in a recession, we're going to cause them to have a recession because that supply chain now gets cut off. And what they were giving us, mm -hmm. we no longer need any of it. 
Right. right? Yeah. So yeah. now all of a sudden they're fall. They're in a, fr- so, so there's some interesting <laughs> things coming, you know, there I mean, are, guys, it'll be fun you, to watch. If you can't understand everything we just said, replay it again. It, it makes a lot of sense, but it really is about supply and demand. It really it is. Always comes down um, to that. Yep. And you know, Ken, it's, it's great to speak with somebody uh, uh, with your level of, uh, uh, of, field knowledge of actually doing the deals and, you know, not doing, I, I know people that have done 18 deals in the last three years, right? That's mm-hmm. not impressive. What's impressive is doing 18 deals over a 25 year career because you've seen all of that. You've seen the ups, the down, the sideways, the in, yeah. the out, uh, and and really being able to understand and articulate that knowledge. And and guys, if you're wanting to know how to get a hold of Ken, send me an email at connect at shannonrobnet.com. We'll get you plugged in with Ken because he does have a wealth of knowledge, as you guys can tell. And he's definitely somebody that's worth a follow. Um, so, Ken, I, I really want to thank you for showing up here at the Real Estate Rundown. I want to thank you for giving your knowledge. I'm going to check back with you in six months because I'm looking for a 5% loan. And you said I could have one then. Uh, <laughs> we heard it right here on this show. Absolutely. But, uh, Ken, any final words for our listeners as far as, you know, what, if, if you had one piece of advice to give to your 25-year-old self, what would that be as your closing words? Yeah, wow. Learn as much as you can and figure out how to get your brain out of your way. Yeah, yeah. You if know you what? If you do those two things, you're going to be golden. I tell you what, there's been nothing in my life that's been more detrimental to my growth than my own brain. And I, mm-hmm. I can see those as very, very wise things. Well, thank you again today, Ken, for being with us. And thank you guys for tuning in to the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like and share uh, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. And if you want to connect with me, it's connect at shannonrobnet.com. Send me an email and we'll get you connected with Ken and other great episodes here uh, on the Real Estate Rundown. Thanks again. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnet.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.